unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And today we're going we're gonna to step outside of our comfort zone a little bit. We're going to do something a little bit outside of, the, outside of the script that we typically do when we do these shows. Yeah. Something just came to mind is, as we're getting started, I remember that in my first sales training, the, the late David Sandler, I was listening to a tape and Sandler himself was a big fan of uh, self-improvement and used to, you know, listen to Earl Nightingale on records way, way, way back in the day. And he said, but, you know, you, you got a guy out in the street. He's not interested in his self-image and his self-talk. He's hungry. He's interested in food. He wants to eat. Mm. I thought, that's interesting. And then you suggested this idea, which I think is great, Nathan. And what we're going to talk about today is a system, an organization that Abraham Maslow, psychologist, put together many, many years ago, called now called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Ah, before we get into this, let me, I, I need to say this, <laughs> copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health or finance or business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, yeah, now let's let's talk about this hierarchy of needs. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if someone's not familiar with this, it's pretty easy to find online, isn't it? Yeah, and this is the reason why I wanted to cover this is because it's it's very much about the human psyche and about what drives people, what motivates people to take the actions that they take. And um we've had discussions in the past about how much uh being how how important it is to have a drive to understand uh human motives, human psychology and how much that plays into um people becoming copywriters, people becoming marketers. And uh, we've often talked about how, I, I don't know if you can even be a successful copywriter if you're not driven, like if you don't have a passion to discover these type of things about the way that people tick. Yeah, I, I, I don't know either. I think that the higher up you go on the food chain of copywriters, the more you need to have that and the more you need to have an understanding of you know what's going on under the hood but for sure i i think everybody does and you know often people say well what are the power words you need to use or or you know what's uh what are the best subheads and or what are the best formulas for bullets and those things are important but when you really understand your prospect and how your prospect ticks then a lot of those things fall into place. I'm not saying you'll know automatically, although sometimes you do. What I am saying is 
it'll be a lot less work to figure out how to sell them once you understand that there are these basic needs, which, by the way, people go out of their way not to admit. Mm, yeah, that's true. So what I wanted to do for this episode, uh, we didn't, we don't have a script at all. Typically, you come up with these brilliant show notes and we go through point by point. This one, we really don't. I just wanted to kind of have a conversation with you about it and, and approach each of the each of the needs in the in the hierarchy of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and kind of start at the bottom and talk about the different goods that would be in there, and then work our way up and and the different uh, levels that Maslow says. He says that at the bottom, um, the 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 most base needs that we have are our psychological needs, and then we have our safety needs. Once we're able to get or our physiological needs, once we're able to get our physiological needs. Uh, taken care of. Then we start worrying about our safety needs. Once we have our safety needs taken care of, we're able to start worrying about our social belonging needs. Once we're able to to handle those, we're able to move on up to our esteem needs. And then finally, kind of at the peak of the pyramid, uh, once we're able to to live comfortably with all of those other needs being met, then we're able to focus on things like self-actualization. And uh, so we still even in our modern day, we still have to deal with each level of those needs uh, at, at different times and, and uh, in different situations. So I kind of wanted to go through um, when people are focusing on different needs, uh, what types of, of goods or sales would be involved with those needs, and then some of the um, points or the, the appeals that we would want to make in our sales copy when we're selling to those specific needs in, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Does, does that make sense? I, I know I'm, like I said, it's a little bit yeah. off the script, so I'm a little bit out there. No, it's, it's great. It does make sense. I've never heard anyone talk about this before in copywriting, and I'm really glad you came up with this. Uh, somebody should, so why not us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. We'll do it. <laughs> yeah, so, let's do it. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got me all excited. <laughs> so let's start with um, physiological needs. And physiological needs are just basically like your basic, your basic survival needs, um, the things that you need to get from day to day and stay alive. Uh, right. And, and, and in, in Maslow's terms, those are what, like food, shelter, sex. Some people say sex is not a need. You look at a lot of people's marriages and you'd swear it's not a need. but. <laughs> Uh, it you know, from the point of view of the survival of the species has to happen at least once mm-hmm. in order for there to be a next generation, um, food, water, shelter, sex. I think if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, um, this is a joke, but, um, there are some super techie people who say there's something even more basic than the physiological needs. Mm. Have you heard this one? No. Wi-Fi. Oh. <laughs> and then their examples are Netflix, Gmail, uh, Facebook. I don't know. So, but, but anyway, um, you know, and I, I was going to say for, for most people in the world, but there are over, I think there's 2 billion people on Facebook. So that may be a need, but <laughs> in any event, let's, Let's deal with what Maslow said, not with what some techie wise ass said on the, which, which is pretty good. Actually, I, I have a hard time when the Wi-Fi is out. Okay. So physiological needs. So you put down consumer goods, food, clothing, and shelter. I think that's absolutely right. Anything. 
How about bodybuilding too? I mean, that that could go a little up the hierarchy in a way um, because it could be self-defense, could be a safety need. But basically, I think what you have there is right. Exactly right. Consumer goods, food, clothing, shelter. So those things tend to kind of sell themselves, but you, if you're in that type of market, you still need to be able to differentiate yourself from all the other boxes of cereal or all the other brands of, or, uh, of, uh, of clothing or um, shelter. So what are, the, what are the kind of appeals that you would need to, or what are the type of psychological things that you would need to appeal to um, when you're selling at that very base level of, of just the basic necessities? Well, I think it depends on who you're selling to and what their values and their priorities are. For example, uh, you know Daisy L, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the girl that does the awesome prepper blog and, and all of that type of stuff, right? Right. Do you know what it's called exactly? It's called the organic prepper. Oh, there you go. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to correct your memory. I, I'm bringing it up for a point. When you talk about food, there are some people who I think believe correctly that a lot of the food that the mainstream manufacturers and grocery stores are selling us is poisoned. Mm-hmm. And certainly preppers, people who are preparing for, I don't know what they're preparing for exactly, um, the, the end of the world, perhaps, or a government takeover, or famine, or I don't know what they're preparing for. They, uh, I should ask Daisy about that. But th- the fact is, a lot of them feel much more strongly, or at least as strongly as I do, that you know you can't trust the food coming out of a large corporation that's more interested in finding a way to, you know maximize their profits and their distribution and make sure their customers stay healthy because Lord knows there'll be more of them after those ones die. So, you know, look, look at Whole Foods, which just got bought by the world's richest man's company, Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this isn't a podcast about organic food or purity in food or uh, government conspiracies about food. But this, that's the point. Now, so if if you're selling food to people uh of you know very tight budgets with a lot of kids you're going to probably focus on price and quality and from that point of view purity of food and organic food is like a frou-frou thing from the point of view of a true believer about food purity uh not focusing on that is criminal so you see you put it in the right category, but the question really should be, how would you market it to this customer group or that customer group? Mm, so it's not just an open and shut case? No, no. It's like you take a 360 degree view of the product and there aren't the same people at each point on the circle looking at it. Mm, okay, nice. Um, yeah, and I, I know that that's true, that uh, growing up on welfare, we didn't care as long as it filled our bellies. And so the price was the biggest thing. And then now that I'm not on oh, welfare let, let, anymore. Let me, let me finish the sentence. Now that you're making money and you're living in Colorado, the number one question for you about food is, 
if I'm really stoned, <laughs> how good is this going to taste? No, you know what the truth is? Ever since they legalized weed in Colorado, I, I'm not compelled to smoke it as much as I used to. Oh, that's funny. But for me, the, the biggest thing now is, is this actually healthy food? I, 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 I hate to go all Alex Jones, but I'm kind of, I'm with you. I don't think that most of the food is actually healthy for our bodies. Look, Alex Jones to me is more an entertainer than a, a truth teller, but uh, to me, maybe not to you. But I don't think that this is this is an extremist position at this point. There are there's just too much scientific proof and common sense. And well, you know, part of it is for me, I don't know if we're going to get to the other levels because I really do want to talk about this a lot. I have a number of clients working with people who write copy for people who are selling really good supplements, really tested, researched, and effective supplements. And in order to sell those, you got to do one hell of a lot of research. Uh, you don't put all the research into your copy, but you better be able to back up what you say. I mean, that, that warning at the top is, is not just, you know, lip service to some ideal. It's real. They'll come after you if you make claims, especially for supplements and you can't back them up. Okay. Uh, I'm, I know I'm starting to sound like Alex Jones here. I can't help it. Um, I'm just basing this on what I actually know has happened to people who I know. All right. But here's my point. Uh, I, I don't want to get into that. What I, what I want to get into is the more I find out about the history of the food pyramid, for example, which is so corrupt. And there's actual documentation that the government has kept about how different industries came in to change the proportions. So it was very healthy for a particular part of the food industry. But now one third of our people are overweight and they're not eating that much more than they should. You know, is there any relationship? I would say so. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So when you start talking about food, you see, <laughs> that's how you sell it. Because now these people aren't necessarily selling food, although one of them is. One's putting together a terrific recipe book. And I told him I want to be as, I don't know how you get a signed digital copy as an author. I've never figured this out. But <laughs> I said, I'd like to be your first customer. Since, you know, buy a signed copy of it. Um, so. So, yeah, um, well, you, you and I think this probably, you know, most copywriters, it's like we live in a world where we are exposed to this information, not as fringe nut jobs, but as informed consumers and people who research this stuff to write it ourselves or to help the other people who are writing it to help the people who are selling it. And by the way, I take about 30 supplements a day and I don't think it's for very expensive urine. I think it. I've noticed a tremendous improvement in my health from it. So, anyway, hmm, boy, that that really went far afield. You see why I like the script stuff, Nathan? <laughs> well, no, yeah, right. Uh, one of the things, and this is just kind of a side tangent. We're going down a lot of different rabbit holes. Uh, one of the okay. things is I've noticed the more you study marketing, the less the less possible it is to live in the dream that 99% of the people out there live in because you start realizing that our entire reality is, I mean, media is basically the marketing arm of big government and, and big corporations. And you start to realize that like you were talking about the food pyramid and uh, the, the regulations of the FDA and, and 
things that actually help that you're not allowed to say they help because you haven't paid off the right government officials yet. You start to realize that the world, the world that most people live in is, is the result of a, a very well-crafted marketing campaign. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. I mean, I have a master's degree in education, but I never would have thought that the, you know, K through 12 basic school system kindergarten through high school basic school system, sorry about using the educational jargon there, um, was a big marketing campaign. Mm. But, you know, in historical ways, in political ways, and especially in terms of food and teaching the kids about the food pyramid, it is. Yeah. It is. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, If that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leave you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. So, so let's let's get off of our uh, Alex Jones rant. <laughs> there we go. All right, let's let's move on to something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's go into um, safety needs, which is the second level of of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, he has uh, things like personal security, financial security, and health and well being. If you're writing for those type of industries, what what are some of the appeals that you would want to um, make sure that you keep in mind? Hmm. Well. Let's let's go to Maslow's pyramid because, you know, obviously you need food, water, and shelter, and you know, uh, if you're going to have children or if you want to have any fun in your life sexually, <laughs> sex, uh, uh, at the first level. But then once you have all those things, you need to be safe. Now, I think a, a lot of these needs come from, or point are pointed to by evolutionary psychology. And, you know, safety is often people lead extraordinarily safe lives. Most of us do compared to even 100 years ago. And if you go further back in time, the amount more, you know, the the percentage of of survival just because of safety, not even health reasons, but the fact that somebody might kill you um, get higher and higher. So we're in incredibly safe world, but our nervous system and our unconscious is attuned to a very dangerous world. And I think it's possible to realize that we're, we're, we're not that far from it in some ways. You know, I remember, I mean, I'm here in California um, in San Francisco, eight blocks from the beach. And I'm not only saying that to brag, I'm also saying that because there was an 8.1 on the Richter scale earthquake two weeks ago. And if there'd been a tsunami, um, I might be talking to you from inside my swimming pool, which used to be called my apartment. (laughs) Right. 
So, um, and I, I'm on the upper floor of a duplex too, right? So, yeah, um, the world seems safe, and it is statistically, but, you know, I mean, this is sort of why we watch movies, to see all these disasters happen to people. It's not necessarily that we enjoy seeing people go through disasters. It's we like to find out how they got out of them, mm. you know? So um, it, yeah. brings, it brings to mind uh, the, the, um, the End of America campaign that was really popular a few years back. Oh, yeah. And how that led to a, a pitch for financial security, um, self-defense classes, and how uh, being beat up by, there was an old cartoon strip of a, of a dweeby-looking guy getting beat up at the beach, getting sand kicked in his face, mm-hmm. and his need for personal security led into a pitch for um, martial arts self-defense classes. Uh, the, the, um, the letting people know how bad a situation can get in order to push them to take action to prevent that situation from happening. Right. Well, I have a client, Ralph Charlton, and Ralph has a company, he's co-owner, called Target Focus Training. And I took the training, and it is, it's basically how to kill someone with your bare hands <laughs> in five, five seconds, defensively, if, if they're coming at you with a knife or a gun and you don't have one. And uh, it was developed for the Navy SEALs uh, after they'd been in, let's say, without regular place to sleep or eat, you know, and they'd they'd been undercover for a couple of weeks or a couple months. And then all of a sudden they come into battle and someone's coming at them and they'd rather survive, you know. So and it's actually it's based on an old peasant form of Kung Fu called Sun Tzu from China, Sun Tzu. And anyway, so I learned a lot about thinking about survival. And the fact is most people would not like to think about this except in their fantasy life when they're watching NCIS, like I do along with 50 million other people around the world or watching a movie, which millions and millions of people do. Right. But the reality is it happens. You know, people people come up to you, they, they attack you. Sometimes they have a gun. Sometimes they'll want to shoot you or stab you. Maybe not that often, but... And, and so I feel like, you know, every person who's not a psychopath, you know, oriented toward killing people for fun or profit should have taken their course. And I was a consultant. I referred several copywriters to them. They have a very good business, but it's very hard to come up with a way to talk about it that doesn't seem sensational or cheesy. Um, one point they got Glenn back interested and he said, I'm going to have my whole family take it. And he said that on camera, I think that helped them for a while. So, you know, the, the that stuff's hard to sell. Uh, everything's hard to sell, but that stuff's really hard to sell because most people don't believe that, you know, they don't think if I'm not in a war zone or if I'm not in a cop in a dangerous neighborhood, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm safe. I have nothing to worry about. I'll tell you what, after you take a course like that, though, your situational awareness changes like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one of the risks that you run writing for that type of industry is you, you run the risk of being called a fear monger because you really do have to make the threat super clear in order to get people to um, take the action. And, and a lot of times, if you don't do that well, if you do it t- with too much hype, 
uh, it comes off as you just being a fear monger. It does. It's difficult to do. And yet, you know, if you go right back to one of the main principles of direct marketing, you don't sell people something they don't already want or they wouldn't already be open to getting. So there are lots of people, including chiefs of police, who would rather not get this training, rather not have their force get this training, which is a shame. There'd be, um, frankly, fewer firearms used by police and far fewer police deaths if they did. But, you know, if somebody really is opposed to it, we're not evangelistic marketers. We're not politicians. We're direct marketers. Mm -hmm. We basically tell them, if this is something you're interested in, here's a better way to do it. Nice. So let's move on to the next one, social belonging. And uh, this is after you've got your physiological needs and your safety needs taken care of. Now you're able to uh, focus on social belonging, things like fitting in, uh, things like uh, making sure that you're keeping up with the the hottest new trends. Um, and one of the things that I really... I really, uh, I think I, somebody that I think does a really good job of this, uh, Jay Peterman, their, their website just has some of oh, the best yeah. copy when it comes to social belonging and, and, um, kind of using their brand to create your own personal identity. Uh, w- what are some of the insights on writing in this area? So, yeah, the thing, I never looked at Jay Peterman that way. I, I'm sure you're right. I, I always liked the amazing stories he told um, that were both, you know, charming and and fascinating to read, but they also sold products. Uh, That's a very rare skill that he has or whoever writes his stuff has. I think social belonging is huge. And uh, these days we say politics is very tribal. I think that's only scratching the surface. I think that people are really broken down into micro social groups, often based on their interests, but sometimes based on where they live, sometimes based on their religion, sometimes based on certainly things they do for sport um, or just their beliefs in life in general. So, you know, the rules of marketing are never different. The The techniques are never different. It's the application that's different. So you need to figure out what's going to help you be identified as a member of this group by another member of the group. You know, it's usually not a secret handshake. It's usually something they see or something you do or something you say. It's pretty basic, and if you have a product that enhances or or strengthens your identification, the prospect's identification as a member of that particular group, you want to highlight it. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times, especially when it comes to like apparel, um, people buy the clothes because of what it says about them. So I buy this particular brand of cowboy boots because it says that I'm this type of cowboy or I buy uh, a shirt with a Nike swoosh on it because it says that I care about my physical fitness or um, and a lot of times that comes into the marketing, the marketing and the copy 
uh, it's the reason why I brought up Jay Peterman is because a lot of times the the copy inside of selling it, they sell a story about a lifestyle. So it's a story about going out and hanging out on the yacht, or it's a story about having fun with your friends on a Friday night and the type of lifestyle that you live and how this particular uh, article of clothing helps tell that to the world that this is the lifestyle. These are the values that you embrace. This is what you're all about. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Now, now that you explain it, I see it clearly. And that's right. All right. My uh, opinion. Let's move on to um, the next level, which is esteem. And uh, when Maslow's talking about esteem, he's kind of talking about like status symbols, luxury items, things that help boost your self-esteem. Um, what are some of the things that you need to keep in mind when you're selling like luxury items, status symbols, things that help boost people's self-esteem? Well, I, I think there's two things. One is snobbery, whether uh, stated outright or implied. And the other thing is insistence on quality, uh, insistence on excellence. I remember when I was a very young reporter, uh, I was just an intern and I was working in the Fairchild News Service Bureau. Now, Fairchild as a company doesn't even exist anymore. They were bought by Cap Cities and then Cap Cities was bought by someone else. But at the time there was a news service in Washington, DC called Fairchild and Fairchild News Service served a lot of different trade publications by Fairchild. But Fairchild had one publication that was kind of a celebrity uh, trade publication. It was called Women's Wear Daily. And I remember Susan Waters, I don't know if she's even still around. She should be, but I haven't looked her up in years. I remember she was joking around about the point of view of people who would buy like a $20,000 dress, right? And she would say, my tastes are simple. I like the best. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's sort of what you got to keep in mind when you're, when you're, whether you're selling to a male or a female, whether you're selling a dress or a watch or a car or, or, or for that matter, a certification, you know, maybe a, a marketing certification or a technical certification that, that, you know, costs as much as, you know, a year at Harvard Business School. Mm. So really appeal to that sense of elitism that by buying this, you're in the top 1% or the top 1% of the top 1%. And uh, you deserve the best, and um, and nothing but the best is good enough for you. I I think the second parts of what you said are better usually than the first, if for no other reason that uh, a person who's very concerned about their image is is also probably usually in a, a public situation, and they realize that if they are seen wearing something and then the ad for it says you'll be part of the top 1% of the 1% that could come back to bite them in the ass. Mm. So yeah, but, but certainly the, the other things, you know, you deserve the best. Um, why not get it? You know, things like that. Okay. Um, and then the last one, and this kind of goes, this kind of brings the conversation full circle to where we started. Uh, self-actualization. Once you're able to meet all of your needs, now you can start working on making yourself a better person or making yourself the best person that you possibly could be. Um, and, and this kind of goes into uh, when you're marketing maybe uh, self-improvement materials. You started off the conversation talking about Earl Nightingale 
um, people that would be interested in, in Earl, Earl Nightingale's type of uh, material would definitely be uh, people seeking self-actualization. Also, a lot of like online courses if you want to improve yourself in this specific area. Um, when, you're, when you're selling that type of material, when you're selling self-improvement or you're selling uh, courses to help better yourself as a person or better yourself in your, your career, uh, what are some of the things that you would want to employ in your copy in those situations? Right. Well, exactly what you were saying. You know, I mean, I worked with professional speakers for a while, and I'm not, I'm not, I think it was Danny Cox, who's a former fighter pilot who may not have originated this, but probably did. Um, he said, good is the enemy of better, you know. Uh, in, in other words, you, so you, you want to challenge people, certainly, and you, you don't want, you're not necessarily speaking to tangible benefits as much as you would with things lower down in the pyramid. You're, you're, you're dealing with a very specific and carefully selected group of ideals, getting better personal growth, especially meaning. Uh, people are always looking for meaning and when you can sell them and and you don't necessarily want to use the word meaning you might but you might also find out what kind of meaning or significance people have experienced or discovered by people who've already bought your product and use that in your marketing too nice all right david I'm glad you indulged me on this because when I approached you, I was like, I don't know if David's going to feel comfortable doing this. And, um, you did it. And I feel like we, I feel like we did a really awesome show. Yeah, I do too. Um, I was surprised at how much I'm already thinking about these things and, and have talked about them and coached people about them and used these things myself in my own copy and actually how these things work on me and the things that I buy. So, yeah. All right, copywriters. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. And uh, until next time, we will see you later. Bye, everybody. Hey, is there a question about copywriting you were just itching to get answered? Well, I got an idea from a loyal subscriber, Amit Mookie, and we're going to go with it. Here's the idea. If you have a question you'd like to have answered on a future copywriters podcast, simply leave a review for the podcast on iTunes. Besides whatever comments you'd like to make about the podcast itself, add your question to be part of your review. We've already gotten our first question this way, and we'll be discussing it in a future podcast. Again, thanks for being a listener to the Copywriters Podcast.